in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking that we could pull, I don't know, Hall of Famer. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. There is nothing more fun than opening an Arena Club slab pack. I mean, it is so much better than any mystery pack that I've ever purchased because there is a focus on transparency. There is a display of available cards. There are hit rates you can get. When you're graded, you're given a rationale. It is the marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, and displaying. Arena Club Slab Packs are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. You can have them officially graded by Arena Club. The Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent, with a full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. Whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack, that's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans like for a car or a home. You can use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. That's right, you can build your credit using your own money. Get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. With a qualifying direct deposit, you can get access to your money sooner. Fee-free overdraft with SpotMe. Overdraft up to $200 without fees with SpotMe when you set up a qualified direct deposit. Just set up a qualifying direct deposit, sign up for SpotMe, and Chime will spot you up to your limit when you make a credit card purchase or cash withdrawal that exceeds your balance. Access 60,000 plus fee-free ATMs. That's more than the top three national banks combined. Easily find one near you with the Chime app. Send and receive money. Use Chime to pay anyone, Chime members or not, and cash out your money fee-free. With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started at Chime.com slash bad money. That's Chime.com slash bad money. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Moolah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's back with money with Gabby. Done. Ho, ho, ho. Happy holidays, deadbeats. I'm just kidding. I'm Jewish. I'm Gabby Dunn, and this is Bad With Money. I hope right now you, my dear listener, 
are chilling with your family or your chosen family or your partner or your friends or your dog. Oh, my dog. So cute. Or whoever you care about the most. Or, I mean, look, I hope you're with your family or you can be with your family. But to listen to this, maybe you made up some completely unnecessary errand, you know? Maybe you're driving around your hometown, basically going nowhere, listening to podcasts just so you can get a breather from your messed up family dynamic. Because honestly, that would be hilarious and I would feel much closer to you. And I get it. The holidays are just a lot. But I do love them. I'm Jewish, like I said, so we light a menorah. I have a menorah uh, named Menorosaurus Rex. It's in the shape of a T-Rex. We eat latkes, which are these fucking delicious potato pancakes. And then there's the part where we give and get gifts. Us Jews, if we're giving money as a gift during a celebration, it tends to be in multiples of 18. It's one of those things that I've seen and done for forever, so I've never really given it much thought. But once I noticed it, which means I mentioned it to my producer and she was like, what? I couldn't unnotice it. It's this idea that money has this place, not just to be spent, but to be presented as gifts. Plus, how we give money as gifts speaks to these deeper meanings rooted within cultures. So now I have to pick that apart because that's who I am. This show has made money my obsession. So I have to know what gifting money means. I want to start by looking deeper at the symbolism specifically for us Jews. And then later, I want to look at how it happens in another culture. So first, the Jewish stuff. And I'm going to call my dad, longtime guest of the show, friend of the pod, Mark Dunn. So, hello, Dad. Hello, daughter. I was thinking about uh, growing up a Jewish and how, like, our thing is to give money in multiples of 18. That it's it's meant to represent high, which represents life, which is like a numerology thing. Yes. Um, so do you do you know any more about, like, why we do that? My understanding is that in Judaism, there's a thing called tikkun olam, mm-hmm. which is to heal the world. And the best way you can heal the world is by giving life. So when it came to when, when it when it got beyond the deeds of healing the world and it got into uh, giving money, especially to family or loved ones or even charities, mm-hmm. the best gift you could give would be something that's associated with life. I mean, it's just so normalized. I think before Shabbat, right? Like before our Shabbat dinner, uh, like every Friday night, um, we would put money in the Sadaka can, right? Do we need to explain the Sadaka can? Yeah, we do. <laughs> Sadaka <laughs> means uh, charity. Right, right. And so you're in Judaism, you're supposed to put aside whatever you can afford, not a prescribed amount, but whatever you can afford to give to charity. Mm-hmm. And it can be the charity of your choice. And one of the rituals is as you begin the Shabbos or, uh, or Shabbat, you, um, you know, you do the prayers and you thank God for this day and you're not supposed to handle money on Shabbat. So you put some money aside and it became the tradition that you would have a charity receptacle or the tzedakah can, as you call it, um, for putting that money aside before Shabbat. Because you're not supposed to handle money on Shabbat. 
not handling money, do you know why? Is it because you're not supposed to like purchase? You're not supposed to create or like get anything? Well, yeah. I mean, it goes back to Shabbat is a day of rest. Yeah. And on a day of rest, you shouldn't work. Mm -hmm. So there should not be any exchange of money because when you work, money is exchanged. Right. Anything that would have to do with exchanging money or or spending money um, was not allowed on Shabbat because you're supposed to be focused on resting, on praying, on um, um, being thankful, eating. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know all all the stuff that um, you busy yourself with during the week. I mean, I'll explain Shabbat, which is Friday night into Saturday until Saturday evening. It's like a Jewish holiday. Similar. I mean, we go to synagogue, we have dinner. It's similar to like, I guess, going to church on Sunday. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain well, it. If you go back to Genesis, the creation, it says that God rested on the seventh day. Mm-hmm. And in Judaism, the seventh day begins at sundown on a day of the week. It turns out to be Friday. Uh, Christianity made the seventh day Sunday and made it a day of going to church. Which it, which it wasn't in Judaism. Right, right, right. You, go to, you also go to, to synagogue and you go pray, but um, the, the, there's a lot of other rituals around Shabbat. Yeah, there's a lot of prayers and, and stuff like that. But giving giving to charity right before it, I remember when we were little, uh, you guys would give us like quarters and stuff and we would put it in this, this piggy bank that was like the Sadaka can. And then once the Sadaka can was full, we could decide like what charity it was going to go to, which was like part of Shabbat every week. Yeah. In fact, we would usually let you guys decide where you wanted to give the money. Mm-hmm. Wait, did you guys, I just remembered this. Did you guys give us like an allowance then we could like put some of the allowance in there? It was like our money, right? Well, we put we put in also, but you you guys did get an allowance. I don't know if you remember negotiating your allowance. Yeah, I do remember that. Once you got an allowance, we encouraged you to give part of your allowance. You know, not the whole thing, not a specific amount, whatever you could afford, but everything was tied to the the number surrounding high, which was eighteen. Right. So sometimes, you know, if you gave eighteen cents. Because you only had fifty cents, or if you had a hundred dollars and you gave eighteen dollars, or one hundred eighty dollars because you had five hundred, you know, it could be even multiples like thirty-six and seventy-two and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like a just a very normalized thing. Like you would get, I would get like birthday cards or or bat mitzvah cards with eighteen or thirty-six. Um, yeah. It was just like, yeah, that's what you do. Right, and that's uh, what we usually did when we gave. To other kids for for their holiday or their bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah or whatever. So also I was thinking about uh, with my bat mitzvah, which is a ritual where you turn 13 and uh, you do like a ceremony and you get a party sometimes. And um, it's kind of like a quinceanera, but not really. And uh, it's it's for like welcoming you into Jewish adulthood. Uh, and I remember for my bat mitzvah, there was like a component where I had to like raise money or give to charity as part of it. Well, part of what your uh, most bar and bat mitzvahs uh, include is service, mm-hmm. community service. And you're encouraged to perform community service and also 
if you want to raise money for a charity. Do you remember what I did? No, do you? Yeah, I just remembered it. I went to like a homeless shelter for specifically HIV and AIDS patients. And I, yeah, and they had like a rec room. And I was like, what do you guys need for the rec room? And they were like, we really want a treadmill. And I like bought them a treadmill. Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah, I I don't remember you buying it, but I remember we did. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) right. Or we like raised money or something. We asked, like I went around and raised money for it. So yeah, I just I just was thinking that it was interesting because my producer and like some other like non-Jewish friends had had never really heard of giving in in numerals of 18. Judaism itself is number based. I mean everything with the with the the Hebrew alphabet and with the uh, uh, with the 7 days of creation and and I mean there's all kinds of number rituals. Yes, and and with giving with giving money, with gifting money, like good luck or bad luck, or even like tied to life, I was reading uh, this thing that was like, and when we cheers for alcohol, we say l'chaim. And when we <laughs> wish someone a happy birthday, we say, may you live to be 120, which is a reference to how long Moses lived. Like everything yes. is sort of uh, live a long time, please, <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. Yeah, well, it's like I was saying before. It's it's the ritual is all based around life. Everything that you can give is to prolong. That it, it's interesting. It's not to prolong your life. It's to prolong somebody else's life or improve somebody else's life, which is the whole tikkun olam thing. Heal the world. Well, thank you so much for answering these questions about uh, why we do the things we do. Hey, you know, baby, it's all about tikkun olam. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. If you're going to be Takun alum, you're going to be woke. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> what does what does that are you you are like 70 something years old. Get get off Twitter. Oh, okay. <laughs> I love you. I love you too. Bye. Bye. Oh my god. Stick around. We're about to get into how money is gifted and valued in Nigeria, and it is super freaking interesting. But first, let's take a quick break. All right, so let's get back into giving money as gifts and kind of how it speaks to deeper meanings in a culture. You're still driving around, right? You, you are still listening to this. So the stereotype is that a lot of Jewish traditions involve money or the idea of money. But this isn't just true for Jews. I read about this custom in Nigeria where gifting money is part of wedding ceremonies, and I think they throw money at the bride and groom. Just like there's meaning behind gifting money in multiples of 18 for Jews, I bet there's meaning behind how they give money at weddings in parts of Nigeria. I'll be honest, I know basically nothing about cultures in Nigeria other than what I've Googled, so this is the perfect opportunity to learn. So, we found a Nigerian-born professor at the University of Florida who agreed to let me ask anything I want about all this stuff. Hello. Hi, Professor. This is Gabby yes. Dunn. Thank you for doing this. No problem at all. So funny. I'm from Florida. Uh, my father went to <laughs> University of Florida. Oh, go Gators. Go Gators. Exactly. <laughs> Till forever and ever. Uh, uh, yes. It's a Gator Nation. 
Yes, Gator Nation, exactly. And it, and it's he went there, I don't know, 60 years ago or 50 years ago and he's still diehard, diehard fan. Okay, so for my audience, can you can you tell us uh who you are and and what your job is? Okay, my name is Dr. Kole Odutola and I am um a senior lecturer in the Department of Languages, Literatures and Cultures at University of Florida. University of Florida. Sorry. <laughs> My dad would be furious. Okay. <laughs> um, so, so we're talking in this episode about about gifting money, and I wanted to, but for my for the audience, like, can we start with with let's like start with like the basic assumption that people listening don't know anything about Nigeria or Nigerian cultures. Okay. So can okay. you can you break down how we should be thinking about how diverse Nigeria actually is? Nigeria is a multilingual, multicultural, multi-religious state. There are 36 states and the federal capital, and each of the states um, has um, a governor. And in each of these states, there are different ethnic groups in each of the states that form the 36 states and the federal capital territory. Uh, we pride ourselves as saying that there are three major ethnic groups. And I know that the minority groups will not be happy about that. But there are three major ethnic groups. One is the the Hausa in the northern part of the country, the Igbo in southeast, and the Yoruba in the southwest. And in the middle belt, in the middle um, in the middle part of the country, you have other ethnic groups as well, and they all see life differently. Because if you want to understand the people, understand their language, and understand how they um, make their sentences or the proverbs they have. So, um, for instance, the Yoruba people in the Southwest, will have, they have a proverb about money, and they make money look as if it's a human being. And they say that um, if you are having a discussion and money is not at home, please suspend your discussion. What does that mean? So it, it, it means that why do you want to have an elaborate plan when you don't have a way to finance it? Oh, so you don't you don't dream like you're not you're not thinking up plans without having the money first. We dream, but you you must dream within your resources. That's what they're saying. That's fascinating and very different from America. <laughs> <laughs> But another thing that you need to also understand with the Yoruba people in the southwestern part of Nigeria is that for them, the, the means of wealth creation is not competition, but collaboration. What do you mean? We mean that um, everybody in the, in the community can be wealthy. Now, wealthy is not only in terms of money. If you have um, a farm, for instance, or even this radio program, if you have this radio program, everybody in the community will be duty bound to assist you in your radio in your radio station, and you as well would have to go to somebody else's um, radio station or TV station or whatever program and assist them. So we try not to monetize things, but give assistance to people who need them. And everybody does it in the community. So that if you have a farm, for instance, and all the able-bodied men and women come to help you in your farm, it, it is duty-bound that you also will go and help others on their farms. So that there's always this idea of 
circulating labor and helping each other. And that's in lieu of payment or monetizing? Yes, in lieu of payment. So there's always goodwill. But if it has to do with money, we have what is called the Isusu, whereby everybody contributes something. And if you know anything about the social development capital, you know, social capital, you would know that the the plank on which social capital rests is trust. So trust is the currency in which the communities spend. And when you are a trader, you would keep a part of your money, of your profit and you will contribute it. At the end of three months or at the end of two months, at the end of a month, depending on when you want it, everybody on that list, either 12 of them or 15 of them, would have contributed the same amount and then the first person on the list would collect the amount to do something, either invest it in something, buy more products to sell, and then it goes on like that until you get to the 15th person. So that is the, the way they contribute money. And it's done in different forms and different um, styles. How do they find the people for the list? Like it's just friends and family? Exactly. People that you can trust. People you know very well. Wow. Trust is the major thing, is the most important part of it. And if you betray that, what happens? Well, you're ostracized. You're ostracized from the community. And it is not something anybody wants to do because it will be like cutting your nose to spite your face. You would, all the privileges that come from the trust, you'll be denied. And nobody wants to do that. Remember, it's a, it's a face-to-face community. They know each other. Everybody knows everybody. It's not a virtual community where somebody could be anonymous. Everybody knows everybody and their history. So, I mean, and that's in each, like, town, you mean? Or each, each kind of city? Yeah, um, cities, don't, cities do it. They do it in the marketplaces where they know each other. Yeah. You know, but you know the city is a place of um, anonymity. You don't know who is there. But in the, in the rural areas, in the grassroots area, in the local communities, where they know each other and they know their families and they know their friends and all the social institutions that are available. Yes, they do such things. So, yeah, because I think people don't really, I think people in America might not know um, that there's different cultures within Nigeria and that they, they might, you know, think about money differently. Um, like, is it is it valued differently? Because apparently, right, you're saying that people don't really care about it. Is there a thing as like, getting rich? Is that like something to aspire to? Is it more like modest or just taking care of your family and the people you love? We got to divide Nigeria into two unequal parts. The the cities where there's um, a lot of westernization, I would have wanted to call it modernity, but a lot of westernization in terms of the building, in terms of the outlook of the people. And then there's the rural Nigeria. In the rural Nigeria is where the headquarters and the seat of culture is. It's a place in which people are still close to the land and they try to a great extent to um, play down on monetization of everything. It's in the cities where um, services are monetized, kindness is monetized, and even you have what is called the economy of affection. It's in the cities. In the, in the rural areas and in the communities, People tend to collaborate to do things for each other. Money is valued, 
wealth is valued, but knowledge, knowledge as its power is also um, a form of resource. Uh, you know? you, yeah, what do you mean the economy of affection? Well, the economy of affection is something um, a Western anthropologist came up with, that within a family setting, you always think that people do you, things people do for you are free, but really, it is not really free. If I came to your birthday and I gave you a card, somehow you owe me one as a member of a family. And because we're we're connected, you will do the same thing. And what you have done can be monetized. But usually in in a family setting is not always monetized. It's always that's oh um, this person came to my graduation, you know, and they stayed in the hotel and all of that. It always looks as if there is no gate fee for a party that you're holding. Mm-hmm. But look at it this way: somebody in America, you come into a party, you hold a bottle of wine. That's your gate fee. <laughs> You're right. That's your fee to get into the party. Exactly. Exactly. And then all the other things you do. And you also expect that if you go to a person's birthday party or you go to a graduation party, the least they can do is return the favor. Is that similar in Nigeria? In our case, it's even more elaborate because if we're going to hold a party in the southwestern part of Nigeria, for instance, um, we will we will choose what we call a uniform, an attire that everybody will buy. Now, the person who is um, organizing the birthday party or the party would purchase it, let's say, for $5 and will give it out to those who are coming to the party. It is one way to assure yourself that people are coming. So when you buy it for $5, you might sell it for $7. So there is supposed to be a marginal profit of 2 $2, isn't it? Now, the $2 that you have made from that is going, will go into the food and the drinks and the musician that you're going to employ. Not, it will not cover all of it, but it will cover some of it, right? And um, you also will give them party favors based on those who buy the attire from you. Now, this is the first layer. They, so they all dress they all take their materials, their fabrics to their tailors and they sew it in different ways. And everybody's looking alike and looking, you know, very dandy and gay and uh, looking so gracious and um, beautiful. Now, now, the next thing is that when the musician starts to play, everybody appreciates the dance steps of a person who organized it. And they would give money. They would paste money and it's always new currency they would paste it on the forehead of a person dancing it happens generally across nigeria most of the ethnic groups do it we we paste money on the forehead of the person who is the main organizer and then when the musician starts to sing your praises you also would start to give money to the musician so in, in, when you look at it, when all is said and done, when this person now does an account, how much was spent on the party, how much profit was made from the attire that was sold, you will find out that to a great extent, the people themselves contributed to the making of the party. Wow. Let's hold that thought. I've got so many more questions, but we got to take a quick little break.
back to the interview. In this episode, we were looking at the ways money is given as gifts. And I read, the reason I wanted to talk to you is because I read online um, about Nigerian weddings and the the throwing of money at the couple or the putting of money on on the couple like while they're dancing or there's like a wedding tradition too? Or what are some examples of how money is given as a gift? So it, it, during the wedding party, like I said, of course there have been many levels before you get to the wedding reception when the, the bride and the bridegroom would have their first dance. And what you expect at that time is they're dancing so well, you want to show your appreciation you move up to them and you, we call it spray, spray money. Um, and it's giving money, putting it on their forehead because they're sweating and you put it on their forehead and their friends will go on removing the money from their forehead. Sometimes it's all over the floor and people are packing it and putting it. It is just their own way of showing appreciation for the, for the dance steps, for the entertainment, for the happiness of the day. So they, they give money like that. It's not something, and everybody, people do it with their own styles. They do it in different ways. There are, there are, there's an ethnic group now where they even have a machine in which they put the money into and they press it and it just shoots out like that. It shoots <laughs> out like that. <laughs> like a t-shirt cannon. Exactly, something like that. And then it just shoots out. And there are people who will just stand in front of a musician and get wads and bundles of, of um, currency, and it's always new. And there are people who also make a trade of it. They go to the bank to get new currency notes, and they would go to the, to the party place. If you want to give $50, you want to spray it in $1 note bills, this person would have gone to the bank to buy lots, to, to exchange for new dollar bills. And when you come, you would buy the 50 new dollar notes for $65 or something. So this person makes a profit of $15. And then you take the $50 notes, $1 denomination, and you start to paste it on the head of the bride and the bridegroom. Wait, so the people throwing the party will have new money for you if you don't have it with you and you can buy it from them? Well, it's not the part. It's it, these are vendors. These are people. You see, all the parties throw up different kinds of ancillary services. It's one of the services. The person organizing the party is not the one who would sell you the new notes. These are just people who want to make a fast buck. How? <laughs> um, is there a thing of like gifting money? You know, in a in like for a birthday or like in a card or something like the way that we would in the U.S. or no? There are different kinds. You, yes, there are people who you know, the very rich will put their money in an envelope and give to the bride and the bridegroom. We have that, you know, um, in, in churches before now, people put their money in envelopes. Now we have POS. What's that? You know, when you go to a store and you swipe your card. Yeah. Yes, that's uh, so they, they have that machine. Instead of put your money in the card, you just put your, your, you swipe your card and the money goes into the bank of the church straight away. So you can give money like that. You can give it in an envelope. You can put it on the foreheads of the people. It doesn't really matter. So we were reading that gifting money means that you're sacrificing something for someone else. Is that like a, is there a deeper meaning behind the sacrifice? Is that like the sentiment you're trying to convey? 
Well, in a different, you see, at, at, at the secular level is what we've been discussing. There is also the spiritual dimension of giving money, right? When you, when you go to a diviner, which in your case would probably be a tarot card reader or a palm reader. Okay. We also have diviners that can divine into your future and tell you what sacrifices you should make. Part of the sacrifice sometimes is money. You know, to place money with um, egg, palm oil, or, or uh, an animal at the street junction. You see, a three-way crossroad, a three-way crossroad at that junction is a metaphor for the unborn, the living, and the dead. It is also a metaphor for the, the past, the present, and the future. So at the, at the three-way crossroad, you will put the sacrifice there. Oh, so you go to a, a spiritual diviner and you say, what do I need to do? You don't need to tell the diviner what is. You just will you'll be given, sometimes it is cowrie shells or sometimes it is um, palm kernel knots. You'll be given those things you put in your palm and you speak your problem into it and you give it to the diviner and the diviner will throw it on the divine board. And it would reveal whatever you have come with. And so then you go to the crossroads and you put money, you put money down? Before you go to the crossroad, they would tell you stories about what you need to do, what has to be done. Part of it might be to put money as sacrifice. It could also mean to give out something you find most your, a treasure of yours to go and give it out to somebody, oh, to a poor person or something. All of this is just about self-denial. It's about denying yourself of something. It's about your sweat. So when it's at the spiritual level, at the level of a spiritual, money that is given is supposed to signify or connote sacrifice. Because if you walk back if you walk back to money, it is actually your sweat that has been monetized. Because that's, you worked hard to make that money. Exactly. Exactly. And you'll, you'll be asked to give some of it. Does that bring you like good fortune? It, it, it will. You see, all life is not about good fortune. Some is about um, bringing an equilibrium to your life because something has been out of whack. Oh. And where does that money where does that money go? You just leave it in the road? You just leave it there. You just leave it. it now it is said to be money for the gods. Now this is how life works. Because you remember that there is a continuum of the living, the dead and the unborn, right? Yeah. So this continuum, there's somebody somewhere who needs what you have put in that junction. Right? The God, the deities would direct the person to that place and they would take it. And once they take that, they also take what ails you. They take your own troubles. They take your own problems to themselves. Oh, and so it's no longer with you. But do they do they start having trouble? Well, it now, it's not theirs. And remember that life for the average Yoruba person is divinely scripted 
what you what you are going to become is already scripted. It's like your DNA. Oh. Everything you do is is powered by your own DNA. But for the Yoruba person, everything you do is powered by your inner head. And I'm not talking of the head you're seeing. It's it's your destiny. So when the person takes the the stuff, do they get yes. your they get your problem? They get everything. They get your challenges. They get your problem. But because of who they are, they probably have a means of resolving that problem or that challenge that Whoa. you don't have. Whoa, that's so interesting. That's so like about balance and like the the forces of life. Exactly. You know what we will become, what we are, is all according to Yoruba person scripted, and we always say this that. Um, that we all have chosen what we will become in life. But because of impatience, we're so impatient, we're just running around like headless chicken, instead of consulting our inner head, instead of reflecting about what the purpose of which we're here on earth, we just go running around. And this is supposed to help you? This will help you? Yes, and the, the diviners and the divine process is to help you bring you back to your center. Wow. So wait, where are you where are you from? I am I am from Lagos. I was born and bred in Lagos. Is the what is the culture there? What's the ethnic group? The What's culture the there, the Yoruba people. But it's a lot of um a lot of um westernization, a lot of mixes, a lot of code switching, a lot of um um, what you call hybridization, you find in a place like Lagos. It's very cosmopolitan. So is that like you you coming to America and being a professor? Like, how is that viewed? Well, that that is just viewed that I am in the diaspora. I have left home. And when you leave home, you leave home only with the memory of home. And you know that memory is the most imperfect of all the things we have. Yeah. And Every time we struggle to go back into a past through our memories. And once I, I left Lagos and came here, I became a person of a diaspora. I am not fully integrated into the American culture. And some of the practices of the Yoruba people, I am beginning, they're beginning to, um, I'm beginning to forget some of it. And I'm not practicing totally. So like we say, I'm in a thought space in a liminal space where I am not fully Yoruba, like I'm, as I am right now, I am dressed with um, um, an inner Western jacket because it's cold. And I have on top of it um, an attire that looks like something created by the Yoruba tailor. Oh. And then I have on my head a cap that is the Yoruba cap. So it's a mix. Exactly. I'm a hybrid. I'm not totally Western and I'm not totally Yoruba. And that's exactly what happens when you leave home and you're out of home. How long have you been here? I have been here close to 20 years now. What what kind of stuff has shocked you about how money and consumerism is viewed here? Well, I always tell my students that I have a feeling that Americans operate on 30% citizenship and 70% um, consumer consumerism. 
that you're an American if you're if you're uh, like a capitalist, basically? Well, um, yeah, it's the engine of growth of a capitalist system is consumerism. Yeah. And the whole um, the the American dream is actually an economic dream. When you say that there's an economic, an American dream, it is having a family, having um, a wife and two children and a cat and a, or a dog and a, uh, a house of your own. All of those things are economic things when you aspire to an American dream. And it all came because the Irish were very frugal and they were not going to spend money. They were not going to buy things. And without buying in an economy like this, it will collapse. People have to buy. And you would see that there's a lot of movement, mobility around. So as soon as you buy, you stay four years here, everything you buy, you either just throw away or you give it away, and then you go to the next, next place and you do the same thing again and keep buying. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a lot of temporary... Uh, um, the permanence here is not like what you have back in Nigeria. When people have... They build their house. They want to, it becomes a family house. Here, there is no such great attachment to things. You can sell it anytime. You can create a business and sell it anytime, you know, and, and give it up. But over there, people want to hold on to things and own it. Yeah. So those are some of the things that I found a little different here. But I understand the capitalist system a little bit to know that it's, um, it's a way of, of life. What makes you stay in the U.S.? What, because... There are a lot of Americans in Nigeria. The world has become a global village. When you hear the, the globality, it is also the mobility of labor. Labor goes to where it's wanted most and stays where it's treated best. As a professor, being at a four-year university makes the most sense. Well, um, it is one of giving of my labor. And, and remember that labor is something that it can move when it, it finds uh, another space. That's just the nature of labor. And um, wherever you find that you can put your anchor, that's your home. And contribute to society. Because there's something larger than even the geopolitical space of America. It is that we belong to one broad cloth of humanity. And humanity at no level is divided into all of these America, Latin America, mm-hmm. uh, Africa, mm-hmm. and stuff. It's just humanity. And knowledge, the, the, the industry which I belong to, is a holistic one. It is not that um, there is African knowledge. and It is knowledge. And we all have to contribute to it wherever we find ourselves. See, you're contributing to the larger. That's very Nigerian of you. <laughs> well, that, that, uh, even in, as I stay here, there is also what I'm talking to you about and sharing with you and learning from you is also the resources I brought from Nigeria. And when I get to Nigeria, the resources and the knowledge that I, I, I take from here, I also take there. And that is how, you know, knowledge circulates, the, the, the circulation of knowledge, the geography of knowledge and the knowledge of geography. You know, these are, are the things that make the world go round. That's really beautiful. Um, if I if I were to move somewhere else, or if I were to move 
uh, what would, what it, like how you did move to a totally different country. What's like something you wish you had known or what's some advice you would give someone who is moving? Well, what I would just say is that re- remain true to your humanity. Remain true to your humanity. Remember that we are the human race and that our differences is supposed to be a resource and that whatever you have, you're contributing to the, to the common pool of our existence. There's something greater than all of us. The divisions we have are just the simplification of the little-mindedness of humanity to understand. You know, like they will tell you that in the Western epistemology, the Western way of knowing is to break things down into its little bits in order to understand the whole. So that, that in itself is when you're armed with an understanding of how knowledge is constructed and you're moving around, you would know that you have something, not only the color of your skin, not only the accent you speak with, but something greater than you, your value that you want to share with others and the way in which you want to narrate your own story. Because nobody will tell your own story for yourself. For you, nobody will tell, narrate your story. And you, you tell it to them and as well you get from them. We live in a world of buying and selling of stories, especially that which is true to us. That's your greatest resource is what you... That is your greatest resource, yes. Wow. Thank you so much. That's That was like really beautifully put. And I, I really appreciate you sharing your expertise, which apparently is what you're supposed to be doing. Exactly. <laughs> I have I have so much to I have so much to think about. My brain is so full. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to you later. Bye. All right then. Bye. Guys, I'm speechless. That was so inspiring and I am ready to join that man's cult. If I really do move abroad, I'm going to remember that. I'm taking all of those words with me. Who knew that by just trying to understand how money is given as gifts or like presented to another person, you could find so much meaning and depth in traditions passed down from generation to generation. It's a really cool introduction to a different culture. So that was really nice and so not what I was expecting. Okay, so I'm imagining right now that you've probably run out of excuses not to go back home. Uh, We're back to me imagining what you're doing right now as you listen to this episode. Maybe you've been driving nowhere for almost an hour or hiding in a back room, successfully avoiding your family. Maybe your aunt has just knocked on the door and been like, hey, what are you doing in there? Uh, Or, you know, maybe you're listening to this with everyone in your chosen family like it's an FDR fireside chat. But it's probably time to come out or drive back or turn this off and get some more good old quality time. So go on. It's it's fine. I'll just I'll just be here. Thanks for sharing your holiday with me. Tweet me pics of what you were doing when you were listening to this episode. Uh, not ones while you were driving. Maybe just park and then take a picture. I'm at Gabby Dunn on Twitter, and I really want to know if I was right. Also, send me pictures of you being cute with, like, your chosen family or your dog or your real family. If you dig this show, please rate and review us and share this episode with your friends. Do all of those things, please. Also, this show has merch. I know I never mention it, but... There's merch at podswag.com. 
This show is produced by Tamika Weatherspoon. Our audio engineer is Brendan Burns. Our editor is Andy Christens. And our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Original music is composed by Zach Sherwin, Mike Kaplan, and Jack Dolgen. Our theme song is performed by Sam Barbera. Bad With Money is a production of Stitcher. I'm Gabby Dunn, and happy holidays. L'chaim. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. All of it. Whatever holiday you're celebrating. Um, And say hi to your fam for me. They don't know who I am. (laughs) 